Welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast in which each week I'm on a one-man mission to unite our culture through diversity. I'm your host, Delvin Cox, and with me on the podcast is a special guest, someone who's hey, been on here. See, she already, already <laughs> knows. Someone who's on here before and who was, how do I say this, critically acclaimed. I wouldn't people, say that. I would say that. No one has said that. Plenty of people have said that. No one has said that, y'all. Plenty like, of people have nobody. said that. Plenty of people have slid my DMs, asked me, who was that? She's awesome. She's amazing. Attorney Anna's back on the podcast. How you doing, Anna? Hey, y'all. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. Also, Anna owns a crossbow. Just thought y'all should know that. I do, in fact, own a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> do not pull up. I have not mastered it, but once I do, that's it. There you go. As always, we like to start the podcast off with the five for five. Five questions, five answers to get the ball rolling. Anna, are you ready? I don't know. Because last time you tricked me. Oh, you're going to get tricked again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm ready. All right. I think. Question one. Okay. Give me your top five favorite cartoons as a kid. Oh. Okay. think as a kid because I have favorite cartoons as an adult all right as a kid what was my favorite cartoons Spongebob is definitely in top five okay love Spongebob goat tier I'm gonna say hey Arnold is definitely top five football head yeah I'm feeling it. football head is definitely top five I'm gonna say the proud family Yes. It's also top five. They said you look like Penny Proud, so okay. I <laughs> <laughs> come on, Penny Proud. Okay, let me see. What did I say? SpongeBob. Who did I say? SpongeBob. Hey Arnold. Hey Arnold. Proud, Penny, uh, Proud family. Um. Did you watch the reboot yet? I have not watched the reboot. My homegirl just told me literally yesterday to watch it. I'm gonna watch it. Pretty good. Um, uh, I'm gonna watch it. Let me see that. Kim Possible was a good one. Like, okay. Great girl boss. I love Kim Possible. And um, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not missing an obvious one because I'm just overlooking it. But the ones that come to mind are Cat Dog, which Cat I like. I loved Cat Dog. I loved um, Kids Next Door. Kids Next Door is dope. Well, I always thought I was number five. And I thought I was a mix of number five and number one. Rugrats. Rugrats is dope. And I knew Rugrats was dope because, you know, they had Maya and 112 make a song for the movie. Like, yes. that was crazy. With Mace. With Mace. That's when I knew. Okay, that's got to be it. That, I mean, I, I can't think of any other ones that I'm just missing. Those are dope choices. Am I missing some? It depends. I don't want to, like, I don't want to age you. It depends on what generation you grew up in. Okay, let's not do that. Yeah, let's not, let's not, let's not age you. I think, <laughs> I think your choices were good enough where we, not, we don't have, like, a whole... Where you know what I'm talking about still? Yes. Like, you like, yeah. I, I know them. Okay, all well, right. You could be... Your, 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 your choice for good enough, but you could be either 20. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could be right 
or a little bit over or a little bit under. See, so I, I, I think we, we should leave it at that. You said 20? Yes. Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm way over that, but I'll you take it. You ain't supposed to tell nobody that. Sorry. I'm That's trying to cover it up for you. <laughs> Y'all didn't hear that. Let's just act like you didn't hear that. What are we Sorry. even talking about? Next I, question. All right. I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. I've asked the last two guests on this podcast this question. Okay. So hopefully you didn't hear it. I did not hear it. Good. She's a busy woman. Unfortunately. My question for you is, when you think of the Fruit of the Lubes logo, what do you think of? Grapes. Okay. What else? Like, what do you, like, in your head, what do you think the Fruit of the Lubes logo, logo is? Um, I think of grapes in a bowl with an apple and fruit of the looms. That's all I think of. Okay. That's it. I'm glad you said that. Why? Apparently, it's a Mandela effect thing. What you mean? Okay. Me and some other people, and I guess you can count you under this too. Remember the Fruit of the Louvre logo as like the grapes, the apples, and all that stuff inside uh-huh. in, a, in a cornucopia or a bowl or something like that. Right. Fruit of the Louvre say it was never in a cornucopia or a bowl. <laughs> what is Fruit of the Louvre saying? It was just out there. <laughs> just, just like. No. <laughs> nope. That's a lie. It wasn't in nothing. It was just the fruits and stuff all together. You remember how when when everybody said, "Is it asked uh, Lloyd if it was five two or five and two? Yes. Same thing. Like we don't believe you either way. <laughs> we just don't believe you. We've already decided as a community. It could be either because he's very small. So yes. we've decided it's fine too. I agree. See, we're on the same page. Like that. <laughs> Question number three. Okay. If you can bring back any artist who's passed away to do one more album, and let, let, let me clarify this, it'll be them doing the album in their prime. It's not like, okay, this oh. person's watching. It's not like this Okay, I was going to ask that. Like, are they going to come back to like a scandal? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it going to be one of them? Yeah. So put it, I'll put it to this way. If it's Michael Jackson, you're gonna get Thriller Michael Jackson. If it's Whitney Houston, you're gonna get Whitney Houston and her prime. Who are you picking? Because see, if I say they come back and do one more album, you're gonna obviously think of the last album they did. Like, oh, that album wasn't that great. You know what? The re- I'm gonna say Aaliyah, and the reason I'm gonna say Aaliyah is because I feel like the people you just named. While I would love to hear another album from them, they lived a lot longer than she did and put out more catalogs of music. Where I feel like Aaliyah's catalog is kind of limited because she was so much younger. So I would like to have her what her what her sound would have been like because at the time she was putting out music of the millennium where it was new to like late lay like two and three levels of vocals over tracks and stuff but like i wonder what it would have been like to hear her music a little bit more mature yeah i agree Aaliyah's a dope choice yeah but like because michael and whitney like i know what their sound was i know how they kind of developed like you know and i and i love their sounds but i and i would have loved to hear more music from them as well but i just feel like i think Aaliyah died when she was like 23 
Yeah, so you, we really didn't even get to hear from her because I don't even think she got famous until she was like 14. So. Yeah. That's what Aaliyah, I would like to have heard from her. Aaliyah's a tragic story. The more, yeah. more I think about that story, it's yeah. really tragic. Not only her dying young, but the whole R. Kelly thing. It's like, Jesus Christ. It's so interesting that you say that um, because I often think about what her career would have been like if she had lived. And I think people like, you know, have this very like idealistic view of like, oh, like she was baby girl and this and that. But I think once these R. Kelly allegations and stories broke and his involvement with her, her family's involvement in the matters, things like that, I don't necessarily know that she would have had the great public image that she left with. You know, like, unfortunately, and I, and I say that because she is a victim at the end of the day as a minor. Like, it's not like she was making these decisions as in a full adult. Like, people around her, several people around her were taking advantage of her. Oh, yeah. But the internet is cruel. And you can't predict in the 90s when there's no social media and everything is hush-hush behind closed doors and it's on a camcorder and you can only see this kind of stuff if you got the cassette player or the DVD tape or whatever or the Blu-ray you can't predict that that stuff is going to go viral and you can't predict like you, you cannot predict then what happened to R Kelly now and what kind of image that would have left on her own career, having been affiliated with him in the way that he is, because people still kind of even throw dirt on her name a little bit, not a lot. Cause she's been dead a long time and she was popular when she died, but people still kind of throw dirt on her name. Like they were matching, wearing matching clothes, like on TV. Like yeah. on live TV, you know what I'm saying? Like he's in her album covers and he's just like around. And it's like back then people were asking questions, but it was very hush hush. But like today it's like, yo, that's really weird. Why didn't anybody call that out? And also Aaliyah, like you should have known that that was weird because he's a grown man and he was a little girl. Like it would have been that I feel. So I don't know yeah. that she would have been as glamorized as as people make her are out to be now that she's not around to tell her story or to talk about it. I'm glad you brought that up, because that's probably one of the topics we're going to get into. Oh, for real? Not, not necessarily about Aaliyah, but in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we'll, okay. we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. All right. Question number four. Okay. I'm starting to get nervous. Why are you getting nervous? I don't know. I just feel like we near the last questions. What is it going to be? It's not going to be nothing hard. The last, the last two questions you got. All right. You go to a movie theater, right? Mm-hmm. You get your popcorn, get your nachos. Okay, that's what thirty dollars. Of course, it is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I just left from the movies, and I just experienced that. Yes. What is your go-to candy in the movie theaters? That's hard. Do I have to choose just one? I'll let you choose. Let's let's give you three. I'll give you three. Okay, Sour Patch Kids, Nerds Rope, Snickers. Because I had to have a chocolate in there. That's okay. why I asked. And I had to have something sour. I'm assuming the Snickers like the Fun Bites ones. Why are they giving out Fun Bites? I'm, you're going to no, be like, paying $20 for they're a Snickers. Give you like a little bag of Fun Bites. They're going to give you like a whole oh. Snickers party. <laughs> oh, you see me? I'm, first of all, what am I paying for? Um, No, okay. It don't matter. Snick, it don't matter. Yeah. If I got money to pay for. Now, if I don't have any money, that's what I'm bringing in with me. Okay? That's what I'm bringing in. I don't know. <laughs> Depending on what's the budget. <laughs> okay, I like that answer. All right. Question number five. I think this is going to be an easy one, but a thought-provoking one. 
Okay. And I think it is appropriate for the season. Now I'm concerned. Why are you concerned? What season? You in Miami? I'm in no. New York area. Like what black season? History is... Month. Oh, okay. I'm like last. Last I checked, we're both black. So I don't think... don't upset me with no sunshine question. <laughs> okay. All right, I feel better. <laughs> black History Month. Yes. All right. What does blackness mean to you? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, I do this for a living. Um, sometimes. <laughs> What does blackness mean to me? Um, I think it's a good question, but it's a difficult question because blackness is so many things. Um, I think it is a culture. Um, it is a heritage. It's a history. It's an experience. It's um, it's really a way of life. Uh, it's so hard. To, I mean, because blackness is just so many things. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just blackness. It, I guess it just kind of depends on the context that you're talking about it in. Cause like blackness is art and energy and joy and, you know, personhood. And all, also American blackness is a spirit of having to have a culture of reinventing yourself 24 seven. Like, cause you just have to for no other reason than survival. We have had to be a creative for survival, Yeah, but it also true. it is, also, blackness is, like I said, like an experience. It's a way of being. It's a way of living. It's a, it's, I don't know. It's just an amalgamation of things. I don't know. It's so abstract. That's so abstract that I don't want to, it's hard for me to limit it, I guess. I think that was a great answer. Really great answer. I feel good because I was nervous. I'm like, mm, nah, you, mm, you, you killed that. Black History Month. You're going to be like, where was Sojourner Truth? At this time, and I'm like, I don't know. My, my teachers are gonna kill me because I don't know where she was. You think I'm gonna ask you questions? I don't know the answer to. Listen, I so let me just say this. This is a shout out to Detroit Public Schools. I went to Detroit Public Schools K through 12. In the elementary and middle school that I went to, and I did not know that all black people didn't have this experience actually until I went to college and became an adult. Uh, at least I went to public school. Detroit Public Schools did such a good job at educating us, myself and my classmates, um, and Black history. So the school that I went to, Bates Academy, the there and Detroit is about 80% Black in general. So at the school, uh, in the cafeteria, we had this big, huge wall, and it was somebody had Paint, commit, been commissioned to paint a mural of black leaders and figures from around the world, like starting literally from Mansa Musa, who was arguably the richest, one of the richest people in history, even for being a black man and African, he was one of the richest people in history to the point that they cannot even calculate his wealth. He, for example, he took a whole caravan of concubines and slaves and military folks to Egypt and bankrupted the whole place. Like that's how rich he was that he was able to impact the do uh, the dollar. He was able to impact the currency at that time, like to, to like <laughs> change the value. Like that's how rich he was. They had people like him and other leaders uh, from other places all the way up until modern leaders. Um, and I guess that was in the nineties when I was in school, but like, they have modern leaders like Jesse Jackson, um, Michael, uh, Michael, what am I saying, Michael? <laughs> I don't think they have Michael up there, but they definitely have Martin Luther King. They have Rosa Parks. They had 
um, Shirley Chisholm, they had all these black leaders and we saw that every day, you know, and I was aware of these people and what, who they were and what they looked like in color, not in black and white. And another thing to the school's credit was we had this thing. And the reason I mentioned the name of my school was because we had this thing every February black history month called Bates battle which was at the school, they would give us basically like monopoly money and they would set up this store where you could buy like candy or maybe in your classroom, you could buy like extra credit or all these things. And what it was is that from the fifth graders to the eighth graders used to be able to participate in a competition where the school would give you a list of like two or 300 black history facts that you had to memorize. You can get into like teams of five or six. And it was like a game show in front of the whole school or whoever had the most black history facts memorized and pushed the buzzer the fastest, they will win. And every time you will win more Bates bucks and you could go to, you know, around the school and buy an extra credit and buy all this stuff. And even that to this day, I know so much about black history and I'm just so present and aware of black history because my teachers, even some of my, even the non-Black teachers that were present were so involved in this process and making sure that we understood who we were, that we understood. We had speakers come in, we dressed up like Harlem Renaissance leaders, like Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes and all these other authors and poets. And, you know what I mean? Just every, every part of Black history, like a lot of things, like inventions, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the gas mask and the traffic light and hair stuff and the iron and like just all these things that black people contributed to in American history and culture are still with me today because the education system, at least at the time, really took the care to make sure that we knew that. So shout That's out dope. to DPS. That's real dope, you know. Yeah. As a person who grew up in Miami, the hood, we didn't get that. So I appreciate I am learning that that everybody didn't have that. Oh, not at all. Yeah, I, I I told a story before that you know we had school like you know I went to Miami Jackson Senior High School, which was cool and stuff like that. But it was it was mixed, so we didn't really get that experience. And then you have situations where you have like, which I've said before, Robert E. Lee Elementary. I was gonna school. say that. I was gonna say that because I know exactly who that is. I'm like, why y'all going to school named after him? Y'all lost the war. Yes, imagine. And this this is not a school because I remember this very well. It's not a school like in a white neighborhood. This is a school in the inner city mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. chose to name Robert E. Lee Elementary School. On purpose. On purpose. On purpose. So you never forget. You always have to say that name. You always have to tell people that you belong to an institution that is named after this person and everyone knows what that means. Yes. And I, I just found it. And I didn't realize until I got older, like, huh. I can't believe that was a school name. That was like an elementary school name. That was, and that was, people just deemed that okay. Well, you were, you remember how people responded to tearing down the statues, like even tearing down the statues of Robert E. Lee and other Confederate leaders. Um, people were mad about the statues. I know they was mad about the schools. Yeah. And me being an adult now, I realize I just don't think people were aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that. I learned that. Because they weren't teaching it. They weren't teaching it here. They weren't teaching you about the history of slaves and who Robert E. Lee was. So they just like, we're just going to put this school in the city. We don't know who it's named after. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just Robert E. Lee. Because mm-hmm. I never heard a conversation from my adults saying, why is the school named this? 
And there's so many other things around named Robert E. Lee as well that is not off to you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's like, oh, there's a Robert E. Lee Municipal Center, the Robert E. Lee Library, the like all these government sanctioned structures around you with the same name. He must be somebody that did something good because why would they name a school or a building or an institute after him if he didn't? They wouldn't name it after a bad guy, would they? Why would they do that? Yeah, that's what you think. Yeah, like why would they do that? Yeah, they wouldn't do something like that because you know, they, they're good. Yeah, so now, just the things I look at now as an adult and realize, that was kind of off. Like, even, like, the Dukes of Hazard. That was a show I'd watch as a kid, and like, oh, this is cool. How did I see it as an adult? Like, why did people let me watch this? Why would people let me, like, turn this off for me to watch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Pocahontas. Like, the way that Disney tells the story of Pocahontas. And like she fell, in, she fell in love with a colonizer, and it was great. <laughs> and that was the story. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. I didn't realize that until I remember having a conversation with one of my uh, peers in college, and I was just like saying something, and she was just looking at me so about Black history, um, like some Black history facts, and like just kind of rattling it off the top of my brain because again, like I've been taught this like this whole time, and she was just like. I didn't know that. I didn't know he invented that. I didn't know they, I'm like, what are y'all learning at school? But not realizing that everybody did not have that experience. And also, you know, people look down on public schools and stuff like that. And people look down on Detroit as a city, but like also me feeling like, well, clearly your private school wasn't that great because one, we're here together Two, You don't even know your own history. Like, and you know what I'm saying? And that was still kind of a privileged position to have in that moment. But even so, like in college, I also learned that, um, so it, well, I also learned this and I learned this after college. Um, I can't remember exactly when, but the way that education is, and we're starting to see this in Florida with you all's governor DeSantis and the whole controversy about the African-American AP class, advanced placement classes being removed from the curriculums. Um, what I learned is that school districts a lot of times local school districts choose books and some states it's the states that choose the textbooks but but the thing is is that that all comes down to who you vote for in local elections because some textbooks don't call the civil war the civil war which indicates that two sides were both fighting over something they call it the war of northern aggression which tells someone just on the face of it not knowing anything about it that the North did something to us and we had to respond. So we really just was responding to some that they provoked. You know what I'm saying? We were provoked. Like that's the, and that's how you are thinking of this war. In some textbooks, they don't call slaves slaves. They call them unpaid interns, volunteers, indentured service, indentured, indentured servants. They call them everything but a slave because these alternative descriptions lesson what the impact of that 400 plus year experience actually was and when you're intentionally making the students ignorant to that and enforcing it as a part of the curriculum there's no way they're going to really know the true history of america and i found that out is that they choose textbooks and they actively choose the curriculums um for uh in, in florida in particular with desantis um it was 
the um, African-American AP classes were part of the, I guess, the anti-woke bill where they were trying to get rid of critical race theory from being taught in schools. But the interesting part about it is, is that the advanced placement board, which basically connects with all the colleges to give the uh, credits, like the college credits to the high school students that pass these AP classes were like, we've never been asked by any state or anybody at all to provide secondary sources for, for this kind of stuff. We only get asked to provide primary sources. And what is why is why is African American history so dangerous or so at risk uh, educationally that we need to have secondary sources? Like everything is already peer reviewed. So it's really interesting. And I feel like, and this is me personally, this is aside from the facts. I just feel like if you have to go to great lengths to hide your history, you must have done something. You done something. I'm not saying it's bad, but you definitely did something. I and agree. why don't you want people to know the truth? So, well, since you brought up, let's get into it. Because, do you feel like they're trying to erase our history? And not only erase our history, but make it so. Whitewash it? Yeah, whitewash is a great word for it. Just whitewash yes. it, change things. And I, and I think it's important to bring this up because we live in a time where. Alternative facts are a thing. Fake news is a thing. And the people who are usually spouting those type of things are the ones creating it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard. Like, never before in my history of time where I felt like I had to fact check the fact checkers as I do now. Like, every time I look at an article now, I'm like, is this real? Let me go look at two or three sources before I kind of just verify this story. Like, even even celebrity deaths. Yeah. It's like, yeah. uh. Is this person really died just now? Like, yeah, yeah. Let me check, and then you find out like, they did or they didn't. And it's just so such a wild time where, before, I felt like there was a time when you could watch the local news, and you feel like they're being honest. Mm-hmm. And now you kind of watch. I think some of that's kind of turning back just a little bit, but I feel like it's almost like uh, you don't know what site, what to trust and who to trust when it comes to these type of things now. Mm-hmm. Because so much stuff is getting twisted and before, like you said about the whole AP studies and things like that, he, the census was making it seem like, oh, they're, they're indoctrinating our children. Mm-hmm. And we know getting well, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, to answer your question directly, yes, I do think it's a whitewashing of history. I think there is a few different reasons, maybe some of them being true at the same time, maybe some of them being contradictory as well. Um, For that, I think that, at least in my estimation, as someone who, as a millennial and someone who's kind of in between generations, where I'm maybe one or two steps removed, well, actually, let me say it like this. I'm probably about three generations removed from people who were sharecroppers okay and those folks are probably one or two generations removed from slavery which means we're still very very close generation wise to slavery but in getting away from that generation wise um the older generations are kind of removed from technology and what technology allows people to do is share information at a speed and pace of which they've never been able to share information before so all of a sudden the education that you're not getting in school 
it's being able to be shared around the world instantly. And maybe the education that me in Detroit had as a kid, if I'm getting that information, I'm able to share that with my peers online and it's able to go around like that. And now these kids are being educated on some of the things that maybe they didn't learn in school. And they're questioning that. Why didn't I learn that? Why don't I know that? Why am I hearing this? Is this real? And they're starting to question their own education. Um, and just a short example of that is I saw, I, I actually am seeing this a lot where I'm seeing videos of white children who are learning about Dr. Martin Luther King, who are learning about certain black leaders. And as children are saying, why did white people do this? White people are bad. And then their parents saying, okay, I hate to break it to you, but you white. And then they're like, well, I'm not bad. And then they're like, I know you're not bad. And they're like, I wasn't the white person that did it. And they're like, I know you're not the white person that did it. And it's true. But to me, that shows me that a child is able to understand and comprehend that something very, very terrible and wrong happened here to people that are not white. And I think that when you're part of the dominant race who's trying to preserve that system, not saying that all white people are bad or, or that all white people are trying to preserve that type of hierarchy, but there are a lot of white people who are trying to preserve that privilege. If you are that person and you see a video like that, you're horrified because that is a direct threat and potential attack to your privilege and your way of living and your dominance in the hierarchy that is, you know, the American social fabric. Um, so we're starting to see attacks on all the institutions and things like that. And to your point about just questioning the facts, if you can create just enough distrust in institutions that people don't know where to get their information from, then you know that people are going to trust potentially the source if they like you. So all you really have to do to share information or disinformation is be likable and find people who relate to you instead of actually presenting them with facts and evidence. And on top of that, they're always going to question someone who is presenting them with something different than what they learned first. So um, I guess to kind of sum it up, yes, I think it is being whitewashed. I think it's done intentionally and on purpose. And I think that certain um, individuals who are trying to preserve a social um, race-related hierarchy um, are the authors of that. And I think that they're doing that because there is a real threat um, to that dominance and that hierarchy, especially the more educated that children become. Let me ask you this. This is probably something I should ask when we discussed it just a second ago. Should we be worried about this? Worried about which part? All of I think we should be worried about it all, but people call me an alarmist. So that's yeah, why I'm like... I'm asking because... I feel like we're watching all these things go on and people are seeing it, but they're not understanding the gravity of it. And what I mean by that is like, like for example, when the, before the elections happened down here with the census and stuff like that, we saw a whole a lot of redlining and things like that, the kind of remapping the districts to work in his favor and Republicans' favors and stuff like that. And people kind of ignored it and just let it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's why he got one of the biggest landslide victories in, in the history of Florida. Mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of silencing the black voice down here. And I, I, I see it often. And I think what's more troubling to me is I don't see enough people saying, this is bad. 
we need to do something about this. Or maybe it's just me. But I don't see enough people speaking up against that. I, I, I do see it on a more of a national level because people, and, I, and even on the national level, I think it's, they're speaking up more so because there's a fear that DeSantis can become president. And because he is, for lack of a better term, watered down Trump. Or more sophisticated Trump. Yes. That's a, that's a good way to put it. And I think people are kind of fear that because he can get people to, he can get people who have those same ideas of, of Donald Trump to follow him. And unlike Trump, he's not, he's not prone to say the wild stuff that he's Trump not offensive. Was He's not yeah. overtly offensive to every to everybody. Exactly. Um, should people be worried? Yeah. Well, I always think people should be worried. And I, I mean, if you're a black person, you you really have to be worried all the time. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there is not a point in time where we should not have been worried because it's always being black. You're always going to have threats to our existence. That's just what being part of black American is. Yes. So that's so that's that. Um, but I guess more to your specific issue about, you know, voter suppression and things like that. Um, yes, but I, I am hopeful. Um, I guess one thing that you mentioned was that maybe enough people are not speaking out. Um, I think that sometimes progress is slow on the outside, but one thing that really encouraged me, or one person I should say that really has encouraged me about that, because and as a person, as a black person in the North, we have very different experiences of blackness and what it means. And, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, and it's funny because you asked, asked me this earlier, like what is blackness? But part of blackness is knowing what your blackness means in the context of whiteness. Um, and that looks very different depending on where you are. That looks different. A black person that's living in New York City or Connecticut or the Northeast looks very, very markedly different than someone who's living in Florida or Texas or Alabama or Georgia and looks different than someone who's living in California, you know? So it just looks different. Your black experience is going to be different because the white experience is different in those places and those regions. But one, um, but just getting back to the, what I was going to say is that one person that encouraged me um, for places like Florida is Stacey Abrams, um, because I it was a person who, as a Northern Black person, and I have to check my privilege on that too, because, you know, we don't have the history that those states have, even though we have a lot of migrants from the South that came up there in the Great Migration, to places like New York, Detroit, Chicago, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, places like that. Stacey Abrams made a comment that Georgia is not red, it is suppressed. That means that there are people here that are want to that are paying attention. They know what's going on. They're showing up to the polls, but it doesn't matter how many people show up to these polls if this place is gerrymandered like it is. Like so all these thousand people show up and these thousand voices are only equivalent to one voice in the birds. Like you can't and like without substantial change on higher levels, you there's nothing that the common person can do. You know what I'm saying? You elect your officials, but it's only so much that those folks can do. So when she start, but but she, uh, to Stacey's credit, what she uh, recognized and was able to, I don't want to use the word exploit, but what she was able to take advantage of was the fact that 
if we can increase voter turnout so much in these places where these communities may be untapped and where they're not able to get in touch with their representatives, we can really change things to the point where a place like Georgia that I think in people like myself had written off like, oh, dog, this is a South Southern state. We're never going to win this. It's not a democratic state for all of a sudden for Georgia to even be looking any kind of like, like, you know, it might be purple or it might be blue, but Kemp has votes in a closet. You know what I'm saying? Like now you hide in votes and now you're threatening election officials and now Trump calling people like, yo, I just need you to find me some thousands of like now that stuff like that's happening to me, that says a lot. And that also says to me that states around, and I believe Louisiana also has a Democratic governor, which I didn't think that that was possible for a place like Louisiana. Because when I think of these states, I think these are deep South slaves. This is the origin of slavery. Like this is where this this terrible history began. And not to, you know, that's not to speak ill of the Black people that live there. Like, I, you know, I love my folks. But like, these are the origins. So it's different to live there. It's different to go to school named after a Confederate general. It's different to go to where, at least in the North, we got a Malcolm X Boulevard. Now, it might be in the hood, but at least we got a street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're not going to school named after a a, a person who's try, who's committed to my death and enslavement. You know, so, um, so I guess I say all that to say, yes, people should be alarmed. And I think people should be alarmed and paying attention and vigilant 24-7. But I also am optimistic about where things are headed. What I'm also optimistic about is that I'm on TikTok, um, <laughs> not for the dances, mostly because I sew and I do my sewing stuff, but I see a lot of young people in there. Um, and these kids are really taking the time to educate one another. They're doing the, did you know? Did you know this? Did you know that? And then I see people, I'm learning more on Twitter than I learned at school. I'm learning more on TikTok than I learned at school. And these kids are educating themselves and they're taking the time to speak about it and understand it and why did this happen? And they're questioning the things that adults um, told them because one, because they have the ability to do that. They have the ability to fact check in real time. Whereas I guess for older generations who didn't have the benefit of technology, you learned this in school. That's what they told you. That's the teacher. She she or he must be telling the truth. And it is what it is. Yeah. These kids are, you know, what is voter suppression? What is gerrymandering? You have um, progressive politicians like Beto O'Rourke, who's out in the streets demanding justice. After the mass shooting, you're there. You're there at that place talking to these people in the streets because they are you. They are your families and your folks. Um, but, you know, on, on our struggles in particular, I think, Folks like Stacey Abrams really give me some optimism. Um, unfortunately, like I said, when you have a gym like that, you're going to get pushback. Like when you have a black president, you're going to have the tea party. You know what I mean? Like the white lash to that is going to be yes. so strong because you're challenging those norms. And what happened is that Obama gets elected. First of all, a faction of the GOP decided that they were more extreme than the regular Republicans and that they needed to have a completely separate group. And it just, you know, became progressive. And now it's starting to be, we're learning about history. The 1619 project is coming out and they're telling people we're bad. So we're just going to ban that entire history from our schools. And that's what you're seeing. Wow. L let me ask you this. Cause I think you brought up some incredible points there. About to switch gears just a little bit. Sure. I want to ask you this question. I think this is very important to me. It's something I want to talk about with you, a black woman, because I think it's You want black women. Support black women. Facts. Do you 
feel supported because I know, and I I asked this question by who though? By who? Well, let's let's start the base by black men. Okay. Let's start it with black men. And I asked this because you know, one of the things that bothered me greatly, like I've talked about it multiple times on this podcast, with the whole Megan Thee Stallion situation with the shooting. And then you had people calling her a liar. And then the whole Tory, support Tory Lanez thing. And then it came out that the trial happened. Not she got he got found guilty. She, even before that, even before he got found guilty, people were calling her a liar. People were like Meg's putting her in jail, even though it's the state. And then she he got found guilty. After he got found guilty, people still was talking crap about her. Mm-hmm. It got mm-hmm. to the point where people had to hear physical, see physical evidence and hear the tape of him confessing to the crowd. For people be like, you know what? Maybe we got that wrong. And even then, they thought maybe he wasn't talking about that. Yes. While he's in jail. Yes. For the very crime that he's being accused of. Yet. Um. Do I feel supported? Sometimes. Uh, I think that's the most honest answer I can give. I think that when it comes down to issues of race, and I'm talking about by black men specifically. Yes. Um, sometimes, because I feel that on issues of being black, that we are on the same page. When it comes down to issues of gender, um, black men have the pr- a privilege of being a male that I don't think is always recognized by men and in the same vein i think that sometimes black men think that black women have privileges that they don't have um and i guess what i say that what i mean when i say that is when i have these conversations these types of conversations with my black male friends for me this is kind of what it boils down to for black women we're overlooked ignored invisible and when you when you have those those types of negative um, I guess, characteristics, associations, whatever you want to call them, you're able to thrive in ways that for Black men, Black men, the negative characteristics or associations are is fear. People are afraid of you, right? So I think on one hand, Black men have the privilege of being men in the sense that they can sit in rooms where white men can sit in, that women or maybe only white women can sit in uh, because they have the privilege of being male and that this is a good old boys club. We don't let women in here. We talk about women a certain way and we're not going to, you know, women can't be in here. And if we if we do let women in here, we're going to have to tidy up our act or we're going to we're not going to be able to be ourselves and we're not going to be able to have a locker room talk. Right. Like, I think it's that. But at the same time, I've heard a lot of black men say, well, you all are going to school more than us and you all are getting promotions more than us and you all are the most educated demographic and you all are making more money than us. And what I really hear when I hear that is no one's afraid of you. So you're able to quietly succeed in a way that we aren't because people are afraid of us and don't want us in these rooms. Um, so I think that, and I think that the, that tension coupled with the history of black men and women and how the family, the forced family separations in order to receive social welfare benefits and things like that, where women, black women, because they're invisible are allowed to succeed in those ways where black men are not able to succeed, even though 
black men out earn on the dollar. I want to say black women by like 15 cents per dollar. And I think that that gap is slowly changing. And I believe that the gap in education, women in general, but especially black women are the most educated demographic and are the most um, able to succeed in that way. I think that men, black men look at black women and be like, well, y'all doing great. Y'all making more money than us. And y'all don't want to be with nobody that ain't making no more than y'all more money than y'all, but y'all making more money than us all the time now. So now y'all saying y'all really don't need us, which was kind of part of the problem in the first place because we weren't even in the homes. So um, I guess I say all that to say the history of that tension, I think leads to some animosity. So when fast forward to like the Megan, the stallion trial, people are thinking she is just, I, I think the, um, and I believe it was, um, it was either 50 Cent or some celebrity basically came out and said, like, I, I supported Tory Lanez because I did not want to see a black man go to jail, especially not at the hands of a black woman. And I think one of the mistakes that Megan's PR team made was when she did that interview with Gail King and she said that she basically didn't have any sexual relationship with Tory Lanez and that wasn't the truth, that gave people cover to call her a liar for the whole thing instead of if she had never spoken about that or had never spoken publicly or maybe had been well, a little bit more up upfront about the fact that that happened well i think that I that would have given that. folks cover i want to talk about that because that that kind of bothered me too because let me give a, another example of that next stallion mm -hmm. she dated this guy tory lanes and whatnot whatever happened happened she was the victim and her whole sexual history was put out there for mm -hmm. the world to see. Mm -hmm. It became an issue of like, oh, well, she dated this guy and she lied about this, she lied about that and all this. And they kept talking. Like they were, the trial even touched on that. Well, she was dating all these rappers and stuff like that. You don't get that with Takashi 69 You don't get that with Young Thug where they're like, hey, Young Thug did a crime. Oh, but look at all these women he's sleeping with. You don't get to dragging out the history of male rappers and men in general like that. The sexual history becomes an issue. And that bothers me. Yes, yes, yes. For any woman in general, any woman yes. that's going to accuse any man of anything as a woman, you're acute, especially as a black woman, you are acutely aware that anything that you've ever done with anybody ever might might come to the forefront and that might over depending on who it is and what you did or didn't do that might overshadow the things that actually happened to you and the whole reason we're yes. here in the first place and, and you know why it felt gross to me when i thought about it and i kind of realize it now and I, I know you can probably attest to these type of things it felt like how it felt when you watch like rape cases mm -hmm. and how women like they like well she was very promiscuous Mm -hmm. So maybe she wanted him. Like, why is this? Whoa! Mm -hmm. it, it it felt gross. Mm -hmm. and I don't. Think I'm I... honestly surprised the judge let that kind of stuff in because I didn't think. As far as, as far as like the Ben Simmons thing came out and like all this other stuff that came out, uh, that stuff was very inappropriate and I thought extremely prejudicial to the case because there was no there was no place for that. There was no reason that that came out. I'm not, let me just preface what I'm going to say with this. I am in no way caping for Tory Lanez, the judge, anybody that I'm about to say, but I'm going to just say, and I guess this is my capacity as a lawyer, albeit not a criminal attorney. If I'm the judge, 
her sexual relationship with Tory Lanez matters to the extent of motive for why he would do this. Like, why would he, or if he would do this? And the fact that he was sleeping also with her friend and the defense's theory of the case was, well, the friend did it, not her, because she was jealous over the sexual history of Megan and Tori. And that's the, that was the defense's theory of the case. Now, as the judge, you're supposed to make this as fair as possible. And it's, is it also fair to the defendants to say you can't talk about the sexual history? Well, then why the heck did Tori, excuse me, Kelsey and Megan get into an argument in the first place? Well, it was because allegedly Tori made the comment. Well, I basically, I'm sleeping with both of y'all and Megan, excuse me, Kelsey, she been lying to you the whole time. That's why the Gail King interview becomes relevant all of a sudden is because the jury and maybe the public didn't know that you was doing this and and that it was potentially part of the reason, allegedly, that Kelsey would have done this. Now, we know that's a lie, okay? We know, we know based on the rest of the evidence, how Kelsey testified, what she testified to, the documents that came out in advance, like the documents from her, her story, the recordings, like... We know we have a pretty good picture of what happened. But again, sometimes black men don't want this to go bad so bad that look at her, she lied. And we can prove she lied because everybody's saying she's a liar. And if she lied about that, what else would she lie about? And that's what the heart and disgusting part of it is because she was not there to testify about her sexual history. She was not there to talk about anybody else that she had been dealing or engaging with because the reality is is she was a gunshot victim. Like this doesn't have anything to do with the gunshot. But if you're the defense and you're gonna set you're gonna throw anything at the wall hoping that it sticks, you gotta throw that up there. And I, I guess the judge allowed what I felt was a little bit too much leeway into that. Um, but it was it was definitely disgusting and inappropriate for sure that that's the route that the defense chose to take. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And let, let me, let me deal on the same topic. What do you think about all the blog sites that were reporting complete misinformation about this trial? Unfortunately, Blogs get it wrong every day. Like when Hollywood Unlocked said the queen had died when she was very much alive. And then other sites started picking that up. And I know this woman on her last leg, because she did die like two months later. I know she must have wake up to the news of her being dead. And just been like, I know. (laughs) I'm not dead. And it's just. Unfortunately, I expect that. And there's no. Um. There are legal ramifications for that. The, yes. the cause of action being defamation as a cause of action. Um, and when you're a media site, you have to prove a whole bunch of different elements. One of them is falsity falsity and fault, I believe. You have to show that they um, were wrong and they knew they were wrong in, showing, in reporting this news. I believe. I think that's the standard. Okay. Um, but, or part of the standard, I should say. But um, I don't expect that from them. But then again, I'm not a person who gets 
news or necessary and like you i don't necessarily immediately believe news from blogs but there are uh, the danger is that there's a lot of folks who only get their news from blogs yes and when you're hearing stuff like that and you're hearing people report the wrong information like dj academics who said that he who purported to have certain documents and evidence that he didn't have then had to go back backtrack scrub all of his social medias of things that he definitely said that he tried to act like he didn't say and fanning the flames of you know, stuff against Megan. How do you un? How do you put the tube back in the toothpaste? Yes. Excuse me. How do you put the toothpaste back in the tube? Like you just can't. Yeah, and one of the things I think it was big. What happened was the whole. The internet took it around with the the whole. I think I felt I think it was Bossip posted it. With the, it was not. He was not guilty. Oh, I didn't even see that. Oh, you didn't it's, see it that. Was, it was hard for me because myself and a lot of people I went to law school with that are actually practicing attorneys, we had a lot different conversations about how this was going to go. So we would be looking at the blogs like, Y'all probably had maybe. intelligent conversations. Yeah. <laughs> well, all of, well, I mean, maybe, and I would say semi-intelligent because it's not like we were the end all be all. A lot of us were not, are not criminal lawyers. You know what I mean? We know civil procedure. We know what's supposed to happen at a trial. A lot of us have trial experience. But the reality is, is we don't have criminal law experience, so we still can't speak fully intelligently about what might happen. And even if you do have criminal law experience, um, your practice area is so specific state to state that you still might not know how this is supposed to go. Because, um, like, for example, like in Georgia with the RICO case with Young Thug, in some states, they don't have Alfred pleas. You know what I'm saying? So you need a Georgia criminal attorney to tell you or a prosecutor to tell you this is what this plea means in this state because we recognize that other states don't even have a mechanism like this. Um, and that was, and not to get off topic, but that was in the case of is gonna a snitch or not? Like that was a full, yeah, that, was a, a big <laughs> that was a whole thing. So it was just like, but as in as even as a person who's somewhat educated on laws, I'm like, I ain't ever heard of this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, I don't know what he, what he's doing. And I had to educate myself on that. So maybe I had a little bit better understanding than the common non-attorney, but like, I don't know. I'm learning with everybody else. So, you know. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't hear about this. So what happened? I didn't know was, that it was pre-reported that he wasn't guilty before. Yes. What happened was there was a document that was leaked two days before the actual verdict was even placed. Yeah, and it was it the document. It looked like it was like a, a jury questionnaire or something like that. Mm -hmm. That they write like guilty, not guilty on uh -huh. the charges, stuff charge. like that on it. Mm -hmm. They read the document wrong and thought it read not guilty. So they reported on the document before before the jury. Yes, the jury deliberate. deliberate. Yes. So it got out there. It, tr it trended on Twitter for like a whole day. Dang. That he was I not guilty. Know that. Yeah, it trended on Twitter for like a whole day that he was not guilty. And then actually people had to come out like, no, this is not true at all. This, the, the jury hasn't even deliberated yet. What are you talking about? Dang. Yeah, it was bad. And, and you know, when that happened, the academics of the world were acting a fool. Of course. Of course, but really but see, that's the ass. thing is that people like academics are not journalists, but people regard them as being journalists because 
they get these bloggers and blog sites have direct access to celebrities as if they are journalists. And so when you're not a journalist, you don't have a journalistic integrity to fair reporting. You know what I mean? Like you don't, the, the ethical guidelines that, and standards that journalists hold themselves to, when you a blogger, you just somebody with a microphone like us, like, and you just happen to know people and they just come and sit down and talk to you and you can say whatever you want, just yeah. like we can. But like, if you're a journalist, you're, you're not going to say, you're not going to make certain claims. You're going to say allegedly, reportedly, you know, like presumed. You're going to use certain words that are very clear and intentional about what you mean and how you got your information. You also probably have a duty to verify your information or corroborate the information that you got to make sure that it checks out. Instead of being academics with a fuzzy PDF and some words from a, maybe a lawyer and throw the word allegedly in front of it, not really knowing how to use that yes. and saying, oh, well, make, allegedly the gun, he didn't have his, he, there was none of his prints on the gun, which was not true. And I saw that a lot. What yes. it was, was that his finger, whether his fingerprints are on the gun are inconclusive. Inconclusive is very, very different than not on there. That's, like, that's, words. that's completely different. That is completely different. So, but when I heard that and people was like, his fingerprints weren't on the gun. I'm like, no, we didn't know that. So if we didn't know that, I'm like, that's not what that means. But I hear you. I understand why you're saying what you're saying, but that's not what that means. And I think that they don't, the academics of the world and those kind of folks don't, they're not journalists. They're just not. They're bloggers. They're He's YouTubers. not even a DJ. I don't know why he calls some DJ academics. He ain't even a DJ. It's on brand. I believe that. Um, I, it's on brand. It's on brand. I, I, he ain't mixing nothing, huh? He don't even nah. got a soundboard. Nah, nah, that cat ain't got okay. no soundboard. All right. Can't get him no turntables on that. Nah. I understand that. I definitely understand that. Hmm. Interesting. So let let me ask you about this. Let's switch gears a little bit before we okay get out of here. Talk about it this on Black History Month, but they'll think this is important because it's 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 rough because okay, oh lab, lord, yeah, it's a, it's another old lord situation. Oh lord, <laughs> where's Bernie Mac when you need him? <laughs> it's the last time we talked. We talked about police brutality. Oh lord, I know is where it, this is going. Okay, all yeah, right, that's a real one. That's a real one. Yes, yeah. and it hasn't gotten better. No. And in some cases, it's gotten worse. Yeah, yes. What can we do about this? Like, it, it, it's it's troubling because, uh, no, we, I know, I didn't talk about this with you yet. Like, like you've seen the Cap documentary that's coming out, right? Uh, have I seen it? Uh, well, I knew read, it was one least, coming out, but I haven't seen the trailer for the it. The trailer for it. I, I recommend watching the trailer for it. It's very interesting. Okay, all right. He, he, he discussed police brutality in that trailer greatly. And the interesting thing about it is, in the trailer at least, he's not talking about black families. He's showing the police brutality on, on white and Hispanic people. Interesting. And I, and I find it interesting because while we see it as a black issue, it feels more like this is a... Everybody issue? Everybody issue. That were kind of sweeping under the rug. Mm -hmm. 
why is that? Because, like, for example, we had the the killing of the, the young man not too long ago. That Lord, Ari Nichols. People, please don't look up the video. I'm I, yeah, I've already seen it. No, no, I've already yeah, seen I, it. I've seen enough of it. I, yeah, don't. Yeah, this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. And I think the whole conversation came up with with about it because it was black officers. Is this racism? And I I like to get your thoughts on that for one. Mm-hmm. I'll let you go first before I get my thoughts on that. On whether it was racism? Yes. No, I do not think that. Well, actually, well, it's it's hard to say because I don't necessarily, I when I saw it, I didn't view it in the lens of racism. I should say it like that. I viewed it um, in the lens of, and, it, and the thing is, is if it had been white officers, I think there might have been an element of racism to it, depending on what the circumstances were. Um, because I think when it's an, uh, when someone is an other, it's easier to dehumanize them in a way that when they look like, when they don't look like you. Um, so, and I guess the same would have been true in the reverse. Like if the victim had been, if Tyree Nichols had been a white person, or if it had been an Asian person or a Hispanic person, I might have viewed that differently, like the layers of that. Um, but not to get too far off topic, I guess when I saw that, interestingly, I was not shocked um, just because they were Black. Uh, and I think that some people were like, oh my God, like Black people doing that to Black people? I saw that as a gang a gang. I saw that as a gang. Like y'all belong to a fraternity. Like it's y'all and us. Y'all being the police and us being the civilians and you having the authority and us not having the th- authority and y'all beating this man to death because you're in a gang. Like that's what I that's how I that's how I saw it. Um but to answer your question about racism, like yes, there are elements to that. Um because I felt um, and it's interesting if you are watching the show on uh, the on the show that I'm regularly contributing to, Dig on America. I did a show with um, my friend Lindsay on uh, Lindsay's Left Angle, and we talked about this the same day that the uh, her show just happened to air the same day that the video was released. So we were able to talk about it. Um, so go check that out if you want. But yeah, um, the interesting thing, though, was that for me, I thought it was so odd that I had seen the photos of the officers plastered everywhere before I even knew what really happened. Like before the video came out, I saw videos of these officers and knew that they had done something really bad. Cause like, why am I seeing all these officers together? So that was the first thing that kind of stuck out to me. I'm like, I know their face, but I don't even know what they did. And then when I saw the video, I was like, Oh, y'all, y'all did that. Like, that's disgusting and that's crazy. And they were immediately fired, which I thought was another another oddity because usually the police unions are so strong that they are placed on administrative leave or unpaid leave. And that's part of the um I think the elements of racism that when there are there are white police officers, usually there is some type of internal investigation and then the officers are placed on leave or suspended or what have you pending the outcome of the investigation and no immediate decisions are made. I also found out before I knew what happened that these officers had went to jail and bonded out of jail. 
So I'm like, so they they already got booked. You know what I mean? Like th- th- there was act there was immediate action, which I just found so so unfortunately odd because it doesn't happen that much. Yes. Then I found out that there was a black woman police chief. And then I and then to me, and I had said this on the left angle, but to me, I was like, okay. If I'm a black woman police chief, you don't have any play but to to fire all these people and immediately put them in jail. Because yes. if you don't, if you don't, and this video comes out bef- and you didn't do none of this stuff, that's your neck on the line too. And you're the chief. You hire these people and you're the black woman. And then I was really shocked to find out that this particular group of people, um, their unit was specifically banned together to try to combat the issue of white policing in black communities where the communities felt that it was unfair the way they were being treated by white officers. Imagine my surprise when I found out that, wouldn't you know, there was a white officer involved and we'd never heard of him until like a week after these photos of these black officers were being circulated. Yes. So the whole thing was it was just kind of like different to me and I couldn't help but to think even me even as black people like they're still being held accountable quicker and not that that's a bad thing like I don't want anybody to take what I'm saying as being like oh like she's saying they shouldn't have had nothing like no I think all police officers should immediately get fired and then we'll figure it out and if you didn't do nothing wrong we'll let you back in but like the fact that something was done, I'm like, oh, so y'all, y'all can do something about it. Y'all can fire these people. And I thought the Blue Lives Matter crowd was nowhere to be found. I found that to be very odd. Oh, yeah. The police union was nowhere to be found. I found that to be very odd. So I'm just thinking so many of the, the, the normal things that would have happened in a situation like this did not happen or occurred dramatically differently than what I feel like I'm used to. Um, and just to kind of wrap this all up and answer one of the other questions you had is like, what's changed? And like I said, on left angle and Lizzie mentioned this too, Rodney King was almost in the exact same situation, except he didn't die. Obviously. Yeah. Um, that was what 30 years ago. And we're still in the same situation. And Lindsay made a good point, which is because Lindsay's white. And she lives in Idaho, where it's very, very racist in, in certain parts of Idaho, and a lot of parts of Idaho. But anywho, Lindsay made a good point, which was, you know, she said when the body cameras and things happened and the George Floyd happened and everyone, the world stood still and everyone, for um, no matter who you were, were finally starting to understand that police brutality was a thing in general. And everyone could agree and no one could justify that that man was killed unnecessarily by police. She thought things would change. And when we have this situation happen, which is almost identical to the situation we had years ago, and I was caught on camera for the world to see, and then nothing happened. To answer your question, I don't know what's going to change. I'm not optimistic about that at all. Unless we defund the police, abolish the police system completely, and, and start anew, or establish a federal body that has oversight of local police. Um, that's the only way that I see it other than that. And, and I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, because I think there will be significant pushback because states rights, federalism, that whole thing. Um, so I don't think that a federal enforcement situation will happen, but 
I'm not optimistic about it. I don't think anything will change unless, and I hate to say it like this. I really do. And I hope, unfortunately, that no one has to unnecessarily suffer, but I, it, it's going to take, in my opinion, for the right person's child, spouse, loved one to be murdered in cold blood for everyone to see for there yeah. to be some type of substantial change. Like until it's a per person that unfortunately is quote unquote important enough for it to, for their death to matter, for them to be a martyr, for them to really be symbolic of all of the unnecessary and unjustified and disgusting and gross murdered by police. I don't think it's going to matter. I, I agree. I think it's almost ingrained in their system. Which is unfortunate. Like even it's a culture. It's a culture. It's a culture. It's a culture. The way they treat people, especially black people, I think they're they're trained to do that. I don't want to say they're potentially trained to do that, but they're they're, they're trained that these people are going to cause a problem. Hold and on, and sorry, and I hate to interrupt because I know I just went on a guess. long rant. No, no, I don't want to because I really want to hear what you have to say. But I do, I do want to say this. In addition to what you said. If you are a police officer that tries to step out of line and tries to buck that culture, they will go against you and you're going to be the one that's ostracized in that police department. And you're going to be the one that don't nobody want to work with. And you're going to be the one that got beat up. Like there was a situation where one officer tried to speak up and they uh, killed him in a training. And uh, when they had, they, they beat him up. Like he literally died. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that is the culture. So it's not even like, it's like blood in, blood out types of like, you're not about to come up in here and snitch on us. You're not about to, you see us doing something wrong. You're not about to tell on us. And if you do, we going to jack you up. And Benjamin Crump, Tyree Nichols, family lawyer, and who's represented other high profile civil rights cases, unfortunately, mostly with the murder of black folks by police, um, proposed Tyree's law in Tennessee, which would basically be, a law that would establish that if you are a police officer and you see wrongdoing by other police or uh, misconduct and you don't do anything to stop it, you are yourself going to be criminally implicated as if you were a part of it. And that's to target the sheriff's deputies that came on scene and didn't do anything about it. The EMS folks that came on scene and I hope y'all beat them up. Like it's supposed to target those kind of folks that are supposed to also be community workers and supposed to protect us. But it's hard when, you call yourself getting on the force to protect and serve. I see y'all beating all these people up. I go tell them y'all, y'all beating me up. Yeah. What am I going to do with that? And I work here. Yeah. Anyway, who, sorry. Who, who is, I agree. Who is watching the Watchmen, essentially? Like, if you Themselves. have these people who have all this power and they have the power to do whatever, essentially whatever they want to do. And they have the power to do whatever they want to do because if they do make a mistake, oh, you just take some time off. We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. There's no consequence for what they do. And, and, and that's the biggest problem. Like, worst case scenario, you may go to jail or you just may lose your job. When it, and you can go, because we've seen it. Then you be a civilian. Then we see yeah. you working at LA Fitness. Yeah, not even that, because there's been some cases where cops have tried to go to other places and get jobs. Well, the police departments. And, the police department. and they yeah. do. And they do. And they do. It's just, it's a, I don't want to say corrupt, but it's a, it's a corrupt, broken system. It is absolutely corrupted. That you can't fix that. That we just kind of let be what it is. Society just has accepted that. Okay, this is the thing. Cops just gonna beat our asses, and we just have to deal with it. And I, and it, and it bothers me greatly because it's 
almost like, no, it's not almost. It's like how we look at gun culture. It's, the, it's just like how, okay, when society has accepted there's going to be X amount of police beatings and brutalities that's going to cause the death, unlawful arrest, X, X, amount, X amount of things that's going to happen to our society. But as long as the good outweighs the bad, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of done the same thing with gun culture. We're like, hey, there's going to be X amount of police shootings, not, not police shootings, shootings in general, shootings at school shootings, shootings in, in malls, or shootings in concerts, or just mass shootings. X amount of mass shootings. But as long as the good outweighs the bad, we, we should be fine. And I don't know if I'm okay with that at this point. It's hard to say. It's, it's really hard to say. Because, like, to your point, the big question is, what do we do? Are, like, Because here's what I hear. Not from you, but just, you know, from society. This is a side of societal discussion, in my estimation. is like, are we going to throw out the baby with the bathwater? Are we going to get rid of police because they're so bad and they're killing us and beating us up? But if we get rid of police, who are we going to call when we need police? Well, you know what I mean? And we don't have sufficient community structures, most places, especially smaller places with low resources, to set up a secondary system that's just as strong as this system. And we already, there's already so many substantial ties that the police system has to the local governments. For example, a lot of these police departments get military surplus. Like they getting tactical gear. They're getting Humvees. Like, you know what I'm saying? Why in a town of 3,000 people do you need four tanks? What do do y'all expect to happen here? That y'all need four tanks in addition to all the uh, artillery and weaponry you already have. Like, so it's questions like that. Um, So, again, I don't know what to do. Just like even on the gun thing, like I have my own thoughts and views on the gun thing, but here's the situation as I see it. Second Amendment, arguably, and I say arguably because I don't think it says this, but it's just assuming everybody's right that it says that everybody can have a gun. Let's just say it says that. I don't think that to be clear, but let's just say that it says that for the sake of the argument. We're in a situation now where so many doggone people got guns that people, regular people who would not otherwise have a gun be like, well, how am I going to protect myself if everyone else around me has a gun? Yeah. How am I going to not have one? That's stupid. I'm going to bring a knife to the gunfight? Why wouldn't I have a gun? And now everybody, now your toddler accidentally just got into this gun because you weren't the safest gun owner. Now we have an accidental death. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, and and if God forbid you propose the idea of taking all the guns away, then what are we saying? Y'all gonna come up in my house and take my stuff from me? What if I come up in your house and take your stuff from you? Then we're on that conversation. So it's like, how do we put the toothpaste back in the tube on that? I don't know how to do that with police. And and when people started really that uh really progressive in the Democratic Party started that. We need to abolish police. We need to defund police, et cetera, et cetera. People was like, you can't use the slogan. You can't use the sloganism. You can't do this. You can't say that, et cetera, et cetera. And to an extent, that may or may not have been true as far as policy and getting your candidates elected on certain other issues. But it's just like, they going to be beating us up until we defund them, till we stop giving them stuff to beat us up with, till we stop hiring people to beat us up. Yeah, and 
it, it bothers me because I feel like we've gotten to the point where it's become a thing where, and both parties do it. They go to the, 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 to the extreme degree on both sides of it in terms of like, get rid of the police, or no, we need to get police more. But nobody's really touching on the fact like, hey, we ain't even trying to fix them. <laughs> we're just going to be like, all right, we're not going to make any effort to fix this problem. We're just going to be like, hey, nope, we're going to either give more resources to a sane degree or we're going to just take everything away. But I guess the question on that is like, to, and you asked this question earlier, it's like, who who do we trust to oversee them? The gu- who, the mayor? Who Who's going to oversee the police department? Because we have people that are supposed to do that. The police chief, but under the police chief, y'all just killed somebody on camera. Like, how who, who do we expect to be able to hold y'all? Who's holding y'all accountable, and in what way are they holding y'all accountable? Yeah, because and- then, once we hold you accountable, you're going to turn around and say you got a union. And we can't do nothing because you'll have qualified immunity. So you you are acting in the the scope and nature of your job. So we still can't do nothing because you was at work. So now we can't hold you civilly liable. I've been thinking about this a lot, and the only answer I came up with, and that's that could eventually work, is the community. Because if you look at it. The people who live in the community, for better or worse, can't be corrupted because they it's their community. It's their house you're tearing down. It's their neighborhood. They want to protect it. Government officials don't give a shit because they don't live there. They don't have to deal with it at the end of the day. Police officers, the same, it's the same concept. Chief police, the same concept. But when you have people who live in the community and see, hey, that was my friend's son who just got killed by the police. It hits a lot different mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody from the outside. Oh, they, they, these cops are fucked up. They need to kill somebody. Let's figure out how we, how we cover this up. I think, I think that might be the only solution I can think of. Like, we have to start, we have to have the communities pol- have police to police. I don't know what that means or how far we can go with that or what can we do to make that a thing. I mean, I agree. Listen, I'm honestly a person who's willing to try anything. Like, I mean, obviously everything we've done hasn't worked. Like I said, like we are 30 years removed from Ronnie King and we still talking about the same thing. And worse, we seen it on camera this time. We knew what happened. Like we saw it and we got body cameras everywhere now. We're looking at every camera and it's still happening. We thought foolishly. Once the police on camera, they're going to start acting right. They be stealing money on camera. Yeah. Killing people Killing people on camera. Like, it don't matter. They still doing it. And, and so, that's the thing that bothers me because even if you go back and look at, like, some of the, a lot of these cops that have, like, look, Derek Chauvin. He had all these cases against him, reports of, like, insubordination and stuff like that, police brutality, and nothing was done about it. So how is he having this, this long history of things and nothing was, he still has his job. Like, I can't do it. I can't do that at my job. I can't just fuck up all the time. Like, you know what, Dale, you're good. Here's something interesting. So when I was in law school, uh, we had some uh, race-related incidences around the law school and the local, with the local police department. The p- local police department did a town hall that I went to, um, but one because one of my friends is on I went because one of my friends is on the panel. 
Um, and my friend asked the question of the police chief who was also on the panel. How often are officers, how many officers do you fire a year? Like, let's just say on average or like, no, no. He said, um, no, it wasn't a year. He was like, how many officers have you fired in like the last five years? And this police chief, this particular police chief said like five. And he was like, my friend was just like, you mean to tell me in the last five years, you have fi fired like five people. No other industry has that type of job security. Yes. Like there's no other place you can go where you're almost virtually statistically guaranteed to keep your job this much. And you're also saying people are not really messing up here, which is incredibly difficult to believe. Yeah. That's especially incredibly that, difficult to believe. Especially, especially in that line, line of work. work. Yeah, especially in this line of work where your job is usually directly hostile to people in the community because for whether they're the victim or the assailant, like, somebody's not going to want you there. That's why you're there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the whole point. It's because there's a crime or something happening and you're law enforcement. Like, that's the whole point. So I just found that really striking because to your point about officers having multiple and multiple and multiple years of complaints against them and it just being swept under the rug or overlooked or maybe even worse don't nobody even care um what do we say because if you ask police or police sympathizers what they'll tell you is is this is a dangerous job we go out every day not knowing whether we'll come back home. And that is true. That yes. is true. You are doing dangerous work. You can be killed in the line of duty. And that's a very noble and a noble um, endeavor to undertake. But at the same time, if you scare, stay at home. Nobody asked you to do this. We didn't ask you to sign up to become a police officer. We didn't ask you to put yourself in harm's way. We didn't ask you to do that. While we appreciate those endeavors, we certainly didn't ask you to beat our ass. Yes. We certainly didn't ask to be to to uh, traffic stop to end in murder. We certainly didn't ask. We certainly Tyree Nichols did not ask to be snatched about the car, and comply. George Floyd didn't ask for somebody to be kneeling on his neck. Sandra Bland was on her way to a job interview, and then all of a sudden she's suicidal. Like that's not how that goes. So I, while I understand that part of it, if you if you are if you feel that the risk is too great or you're too scared to engage with the, your constituents and your community members, you need to really stay at home. You really need to stay at home unless somebody who is willing and able to do this and going to do this right and cares about the community and cares about that. Because for as many bad officers as there are, well, I don't even know how many good officers it is because y'all getting outshined all the time. And are you really a good officer because you were just doing your job? Does that make you a good officer? Because yeah. what if you turned a blind eye to bad officers? Are you still a good officer? Yeah. What defines a good officer? Right. Good police work, like stuff like that. Like, so it's, 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 it's incredibly difficult. And I don't think that police have the trust um, to, to what you were saying about Kaepernick's documentary. And I haven't seen it, but just going off what you said, like, I don't think that that institution, like many other crumbling government institutions, have the trust of the people anymore. I don't think that people people don't trust police in general. Yeah. Like you might trust them to like come and break up a domestic violence situation. You might trust them maybe to stop a robbery. Maybe I don't even think people think police really even solve crimes for real. Like I, you know what I'm saying? Like 
how often do y'all even find the people that did the crimes? Because I'm yeah. seeing y'all locking wrong people up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, y'all not even getting the right person. So I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. And then when you couple that with, like, an already jacked up criminal justice system, a jacked up legal system, and I know that because I've learned it, I work in it, and the laws are not favorable to criminal defendants just for the simple fact that you are accused. Okay. Um, I don't know how we fix it. Because it's all just part of, and this is a legal doctrine, but it's all fruit of the poisonous tree. Like, there's nothing that's going to be pure that is flowing from a poisonous tree. So, unfortunately, I don't know what to do. I really don't. We do need the community engagement, but, like, can community engagement really fix it if we don't have the authority? If we don't have the badge and gun? Because the community can't stop me from getting pulled over. Community can't stop y'all from snatching me up out the car because y'all think y'all have probable cause. Community can't stop y'all from thinking that I was a threat to you and detaining me. Community can't stop that because it doesn't, I mean, while it has a collective authority, yes, it does not have the day-to-day -day individual and operational authority. So that's where we getting killed at. Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing, a tricky thing. Then hopefully one day we will figure out because a change has to come it has to. i hope so i hope so i hope so i really do like i said i'm i'm while i am not particularly optimistic um what i am optimistic about just to end this on a light note i am optimistic about the young people i feel like the and i always say this all the time is that these gen z people are really stepping up. They are educating themselves. They are protesting. They are out there. You see the Greta Thornburg girl. Like, you see them trying to really reclaim their future. They see that they have never known a world without chaos, okay? Millennials, at least we grew up in a world that was kind of on a beginning, like end of the quote-unquote dark ages, beginning of technology, a new a digital and enlightenment period. And... We thought that the world was going to be like the Jetsons, where stuff was going to be figured out and stuff like that, and it was just going to be better. Yes. Um, it got actually probably worse, okay? Yeah. And now we're the adults and all up in this stuff. So it's just like, that's wild. But these kids have never known a world. Like, they grew up with Obama, and then it was Trump after that, and it's just been the Trump and, and all of that since then. So that's all that they know. They only know war. They only know chaos. They know that the adults cannot be trusted. Like, that's what they know. That's what they're learning. The adults cannot be trusted. I don't know how many other generations had that, where you can't trust the news, you can't trust your uh, people around you, you can't trust your teachers, you can't trust your community leaders, you can't trust anybody. Can't trust your so parents. They gotta, you can't trust your parents. So they teach one another. And um, I'm optimistic about that. And I know that there are some drawbacks to the challenges that they have to go through as well. But like I said, these these young people are extremely bright and I think able to figure this stuff out in a way that generations before them may not have. And they are acutely aware of the things that we're talking about. And maybe they are the folks and groups of people that will come up with solutions that didn't even occur to us because we were so, so deep and entrenched in it. Um, so I'm so I'm excited about that. I think that they are creative and bright, and you know I'm optimistic about those folks. I think that's the perfect way to end this episode. A little bit of hope. 
little bit good. of optimism. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm like, let me bring it full circle, child, because this is crazy. <laughs> yes, it is. You did great, Anna. Let them know where to find you at. You can find me pretty much everywhere. There goes Anna, Instagram, Twitter, on TikTok. There go Anna. I don't know who there goes Anna on Twitter is, but count your days, girl, because I try to get that <laughs> handle, and I know you, you're you not even using it right. Um, So you can find me on there. You can also find me Wednesday nights around 10 p.m. EST, 7 p.m. PST on Dig on America. And every now and again, I'm on other people's shows, so just check out the network on YouTube, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I hope y'all heard all of that so y'all can contact Anna and not me. <laughs> y'all can, all the critically, all the people who were saying I was critically acclaimed, please show yourself because I don't believe Delvin. And if he, and if he is right, you will write me and tune in to Dig on America on Wednesday nights. Yes. Other than that, I'm not going to believe him and I hope y'all will support y'all friend on this show. No, don't support me. Support Anna. Support, support. <laughs> I, I would hope that y'all support him in supporting me. Because yeah, support I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Support. I'm going to let y'all know that right now. Yeah, don't don't start getting shy now, y'all. <laughs> I want to show yourselves. I want to know who y'all are. Who are y'all? Talk to me. There you go. I, see, I, I put it out there. Put, the, put this clip up. Talk to me. I want to know who y'all are. He keeps saying critically acclaimed. I don't believe that. Yes, people, people DM. Show yourselves. Pop yeah. out. If, if y'all do, don't don't mention me. Nah, y'all y'all good. Mention that <laughs> specifically. Mention <laughs> you can't say nah, mention Delvin. Nah. Tell me that it was him. Tell me you came from this show that you listened to the whole thing that you got all the way through this recording and that you are a fan of Delvin Cox's show. Yes. I will respond. I can promise you. There you go. I can promise you. You see that? There you I go. I can promise you. Perfect. As always, Delvin Cox Experience, we are out. Peace. In brightest day, in blackest night, let no evil escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. Where is justice, we ask? When in the battle for peace, the mightiest among us has fallen. Where is the truth when such terrible things befall those we love? Found some old DOD and CIA files on something called the OMAC Project. Let's see what one man can do. OMAC Alpha activated. Target acquired. Attack mode initiated. Dispatch, Code 30. Code 30. From Denver, Colorado, where we're told fires are currently raging out of control all over the city. Shouldn't you contact Superman? The others? Not until I find Omac. I started this. I'm going to stop it. These are directed attacks. Specific. Designed. They did this. Turn me into this. Everyone's accounted for. All locked down. Someone new, then. Someone smart. We need to think defensively. It's attacking their strengths. Fire, water, willpower. Turning them in on themselves. Hello, beloved. Auto attack sequence initiated. Stand by. 
What if you turned against us? Against the world? What if someone controlled you? What in the hell are you saying? <laughs> How could you be so stupid? I thought you were non-violent. He is. But I'm not. Wonder Woman. Green Lantern. Aquaman. The Flash. The Martian Manhunter. A coffin in a somber amber light. You can't save the whole world, you know? Not the whole world. Just the little part with you in it. Dyla presents Justice League Mortal, a four-part audio drama event, coming soon.